0: Welcome to The Postpartum Wow, the show where moms share their raw, unfiltered postpartum moments. I'm your host, Sarah Allen, and I'm a first-time mom who was completely broadsided by postpartum depression and anxiety. I'm here to show the not-so-pretty side of becoming a parent, and I hope you hear something that resonates with you because, let's be honest, the postpartum experience is nothing like we imagined. But along with the struggles come glimpses of hope. So buckle up and hold on tight, and let's get to it. Hello again, friends. Welcome back. Um, I've got a very special guest here with me today. I have Erin Schlossman. She is a licensed professional counselor in the state of Colorado. And I came across her on her Instagram called the fourth trimester wellness. And I knew uh, shortly after I discovered her, that oh yeah, we we gotta get we gotta get her on the podcast because mm-hmm. this is very much the topic that I'm trying to address here, and everything that she does, it's it's very uh, catered toward postpartum and early motherhood support, and just and I love that on on her official website when you go to the about her section or whatever the first. Caption there on the front is postpartum, what the actual fuck? <laughs> um, so it's like, well, if that ain't it in a nutshell. I don't know what is. Um, but before we get into the, the meat and potatoes, I do want to give my disclaimer. I am not a medical professional. The thoughts and opinions that I share here today are my own. And just keep that in mind. Also, if you are currently in the throes of postpartum depression and anxiety, just be mindful that some of the stuff we talk about here today could be triggering. So just keep that in mind. And without further ado, I'm going to hand the floor over to Erin. Tell
1: us a little bit about yourself. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, So I'm Erin. I am a mom of two. I'm a licensed professional counselor. I started working with new moms shortly after I became a new mom, uh, mostly In my experience, I was having trouble finding a therapist that I felt I could really talk openly about or talk, talk openly with about what the experience, what my experience of postpartum was. Um, when I had had kids, I was already well into my career and, um, I. I was like, okay, so if I'm a therapist in this community and I can't find a therapist for myself, what does this look like for a new parent who needs support and has no idea where to go, has never seen a therapist before, has no idea what they're experiencing? It doesn't make sense. And so part of professionally, my focus shifted from um well, at the time I was working from what I'd been working in before to working primarily with new pregnant, trying to conceive new parents.
0: Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So tell us, I'm very curious. Um, did you choose, like, were you always interested in the profession that you chose? Like, was that just something from an early age you knew you wanted to get into? Or tell us a little bit of what inspired you to pursue that?
1: Yeah. So I, what did I do? So I finished my undergrad and I was deciding between going into education or going into counseling. I knew that I was going to get a master's degree in one of those two things. And as I explored more about what each profession looks like, um, it just felt like a better fit for me to go into counseling. I like that intimate I like the intimate clinical setting. I like I'm, I don't know that I'm a good teacher, but I knew that I'd be a good therapist. And so that's um, the route that I chose for grad school. And then after grad school, it was kind of just uh, figuring out where in the field I wanted to be.
0: Cool. Yeah. And there's, there's some people I've talked to where and myself included, it seemed like my profession just kind of fell in my lap. It wasn't something that I knew I wanted to go into until it just happened.
1: What do you and do? I didn't so ask that. <laughs> yeah, I work for
0: I, I, I'm i in IT. So I my degree is in computer information systems. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been a a techie but it was one of those where I was I was afraid to pursue that as a career thinking maybe I'd get burned out or something but turns out I really do enjoy it and wanted to continue in that so that's that's the field that I chose and then you know Mm -hmm. became a parent and it's like okay uh I mean, we can get into that, but it's like, yeah, this is, uh, it makes sense why, why I chose what I did. And it's, it was one of those where I worked very hard to, mm-hmm. to get the, the level that I was or the level that I am at now. And so it was very difficult to find that balance at first. Um, but and in, in segueing into that, could you tell us, so what were your expectations of motherhood beforehand,
1: So I am not one of those people who had ever like fantasized about what my wedding was going to look like or fantasized what being a parent was going to look like. Um, I met my husband and I was like, yeah, I could hang out with this dude like forever. And we got a dog, we got married, we talked about you know, if we wanted kids, if we didn't want kids, and then we started trying. Um, so while I was pregnant, I guess I'm just like a very in the moment, like I just enjoyed being pregnant. And then um, I had, we had our first is a, our son named Jack. So we had Jack and I am trying to remember like Caring for the baby was never hard. Being a mom has never been hard for me. Um, Caring for others isn't hard for me, as evidenced by my profession. Uh, But I had no idea. It really, it shined a really bright light for me on how little I was doing for myself. And that became the challenge. I feel like a lot of new parents at least new parents that I've worked with, it it typically goes one of two ways. Either there's this like, the pe- people who have people-pleasing tendencies, caring for the baby is no problem, but self-care goes out the window. People who are really good at taking care of themselves feel like the having a baby took things away from their life. So like, I miss my freedom, I miss my sleep, I miss my... Um, And for me, it was definitely the like, oh, wait, right. You need to also take care of yourself and you can't teach kids how to care for themselves if if you're not modeling that because they learn from from us.
0: Yeah, and that's very good to hear, too, because I felt like I was a happy medium. You know, I have those people pleasing tendencies, but I mean, we didn't have we didn't have our daughter until we were well into our 30s and we I was used to. Yeah, caring for myself at that point. Yeah, um, especially in the years leading up to that, I'd really taken the time to find out what how to achieve my optimal health. Got down to a weight that I was happy with, and not just physically, but mentally was at a good a mm-hmm. good point. And that took a lot of work. And you know, after after our daughter was born, realizing that oh wow, I I don't have the capacity to devote that equivalent of time uh-huh. to that anymore. I have to find a new, a new balance. So going with that. Um, so if those were your expectations going into it, um, what were like, what were the big differences between those and then the reality of, oh, this is motherhood?
1: Yeah. So for me, again, the mothering part was, has never been challenging. Um, I I want to say like in my early 20s I I had my first panic attack and um worked through it wasn't on meds didn't have any other panic attacks when I was in labor with my son um so I was I labored for like ever and pushed for like ever and he was sunny side up and they turned him and he turned back so I ended up having an unplanned C-section which I was completely fine with it wasn't an emergency the baby was fine um i knew early on like i'm just going to surrender to whatever this is while i was getting my c section i heard one of the surgeons say i'm seeing more blood than i would like to be seeing and so i immediately was like oh okay so this is how we all die i'm dying my son's dying we're all going to die and that threw me back into having panic attacks. Thank goodness I had a very strong community of support. I was connected. I worked at the hospital where I gave birth. So I was connected with a great psychiatrist there and a therapist and was probably panic attack free within like the first month of him of him being born. But it was never, I was never panicked. It was never about caring for him. It was just... I was like, am I dying? Or, well, there's there's other pieces to the story. I had some breastfeeding stuff and ended up having to have a mammogram. And like, is this a rare form of cancer? Or do you just like have clocked, like what's happening here? So it, everything is totally fine. And the outcome was totally fine. But that first month was really challenging. And I think it's probably a good thing that I had no expectations for what early postpartum looks like because it would have been really devastating if I had imagined running in a field of flowers with my baby and then all of a sudden I'm having panic attacks and bringing him to like my psychiatry appointment. Um, And... So for that, I'm grateful that I I it really, I just got through that challenging time and then I was fine and I had wonderful support. My husband's super supportive. Both of our moms were super supportive. This was before COVID. So I was able to like, you know, do the things that I knew helped me when I was feeling anxious. And I feel... I, I feel like having realistic expectations about postpartum before you're a parent is kind of challenging um so to answer to answer the short answer is I didn't have a lot of expectations and so when the reality was what it was that was okay
0: <laughs> yeah and I I know in my own. Like in my own story, I did have a lot of expectations going mm-hmm. into it. Um, and I don't think that helped. I yeah, I think. And, and oh, all things considered, pregnancy and birth were very uncomplicated on my front. I'm very grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was the sheer like we're home and it was the anxiety hit me almost immediately. Mm-hmm. And. It was not sunshine and flowers and you know running through fields of all this happiness or whatever and like oh my gosh look at this wonderful creature that we just brought home you know there wasn't any of that. How old is your? How old is your? So my daughter's thirteen months.
1: Thirteen months. Okay,
0: you made it. You did it. You got through. I did it. it survived uh but yeah that that first week was just a wave of emotions now granted yeah we were running into talent challenges too with like breastfeeding and things of that nature but for uh, all things considered she was fine everyone was fine Mm -hmm. but it was that huge huge learning curve and that huge huge adaption period that Mm -hmm. needed to happen where i was just broadsided and so hearing other moms uh like kind of their reality check moment of okay this is what I was hoping it was going to be, or this is what I thought it was going to be. And then what it actually was, at least in my experience, it contributed to those feelings of depression and anxiety. And there's a part of me that's like, well, maybe if I hadn't had those expectations going into it, maybe it wouldn't have been as disappointing, but, you know, could have, should have, would have.
1: Sometimes I think this is something I've observed in my practice. Sometimes I think that first time moms who have their first babies, in Their 30s, when their career is established, you know, or high achieving in their careers, are, that the transition can it's a it poses a different sort of challenge than for the parents who dreamed of being a stay at home parent, knew they were going to be a stay at home parent, were devoted to being a stay at home parent. Um, the experience is really different, yeah,
0: yeah, and yeah, I, I it's like I said, it's just interesting to hear other moms perspectives on that front and whatever stage of life they're in and and what expectations they have going into it. Um, and so to, to go along with that, um, I've been asking every mom I speak with, you know, at what point did you experience your what I call the postpartum wow, quote unquote, which for me as an example, that first week of you're so sleep deprived, you're so exhausted recovering from giving birth. And you have this child that that will not sleep and you're at your wits end trying to figure out, okay, how do I care for this thing? Mm -hmm. Um, and you're like, this, is this my life now? Mm -hmm. Holy shit.
1: You know, if that, if that kind of helps with the, what was my wow moment. Mm -hmm. I was thinking of it in a different way. Like what was the moment where it all clicked? And I was like, Oh, I can do this. Like this isn't, Oh, that's good too. Yeah. Both. Okay. (laughs) So, um, OK, so I'll start with the just because that's at the t- top of my mind when I was like, oh, I can totally do this. I when I alone brought like did a whole doctor's office, went to the grocery store within like probably the first few weeks of him being born. I was like, oh, I can totally do this. Like I can do this. And then um, what was my like shit? What the fuck? Um, it probably was just related to my anxiety we I worked really hard at nursing and we were able to nurse for a long time. Um, I've never thought about what was the moment that what was I like, what the actual fuck, what was that moment? I think. Um, well, so your priorities change instantly and I hadn't expected that and it was in a good way, but also the things I think for me, it was like, oh, the things that I thought were important, the things that I was wrapped up in before the things that were consuming my time before just don't feel as important to me anymore. So I think that was probably also another like postpartum. What, what the fuck, who, who am I? (laughs) Who does this person become? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's
0: a, that's a good way to put it. Uh, because, yeah, it was yeah. toward the end of that first week um, and even a couple of weeks later when I finally reached out to my provider to get some help um, for the depression and anxiety. It was just, it, it all had built up, you know, it all had built up of not sleeping at my wits end, trying to figure out how best to care for her. And granted the entire time she was fine. Yeah. You know, there yeah. was nothing wrong with this child. I had, my husband was here, our both of our mothers were here and all of them. I mean, my husband was exhausted too, but even both grandmas were just like, this baby's perfect. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with her and out of the ordinary that they could tell. Mm-hmm. But being a first time mom, I didn't know. Yeah. All I knew was that I was scared. I was anxious. I was thinking every hour of every day that clearly I'm not cut out for this mm. because it just feels so foreign. Mm-hmm. Everything up to that point, I felt like, okay, I kinda had an idea. I'll I'll learn on the job, you know, I'm not too worried about it. And all confidence was just stripped. Yeah. Completely.
1: I never felt um for me, it never felt I never felt powerless to the uncertainty of it. And I, like, I always felt very confident in my ability to care for my kids. And then the second go around, we had a totally different experience. And um, I just, I, you know, like, I learned things along the way, like, at least for my kids, one horrible night of sleep. It's really easy to get into all or nothing thinking when you have a newborn. And so getting to the points where you're like, okay, one horrible night doesn't mean there's going to be another horrible night. It just means we had one horrible night. So what can we do today to make today easier? And I really leaned into those things i think also with my profession like i totally understood what was going on with my mental health and um so i knew exactly how to get the support that i needed because i was i i knew i knew exactly what it what was going on yeah and i think i think that's
0: that's that's helpful on that front because you kind of had an idea of what to well, I guess expect on the, the the mental health side of things. I think yep. for me, I had had a history of, of mental health um, issues that I just treated and got through and came through on the other side just fine. And I figured, okay, yes, I am at risk for this. I should be mindful of it, at least mm-hmm. not to completely write it off. But, you know, there's always that part of you that, stays hopeful and is like, well, maybe, maybe it won't happen, you know, we'll just, we'll just stay positive, blah, blah, blah. And then to have it all come crashing down that quickly was a bit, um, was a bit of a surprise. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do like how you pointed out of your interpretation of the wow being, oh, I actually got this. Mm -hmm. I I may start, I may start including that in in future episodes. I'll have to give you credit for that. It's (laughs) just like how I
1: experience, it's how I experience life. So like, what was when I think of a wow moment? I'm like, what was the moment where I was like, oh my god, you've totally got this, and my husband would tell you that like I have a sister, my mom's this way too. My husband would tell you that like our defining characteristic is that we just don't really care about directions or following rules, and so I, I easily leaned into like, I I I know what I know what's best for me. I know what's best for my baby. I'm of sound mind. I can make these decisions and do what works for us.
0: Yeah, and I think, and you can you can attest to this. But uh, when when there when you're stripped of that level of confidence in your ability and you feel completely powerless, I guess I didn't understand that that slowly would return. I didn't see the light at the end of the tunnel, and yeah. so waking up every single day was extremely difficult. Thinking, I'm never going to see that again. I'm never going to feel that again. Yeah, and, but that wasn't true. Mm-hmm. I eventually did get my confidence back. And it's like you said, I finally was like, I am of sound mind to make the proper decisions for myself, for my daughter, for my family. And I have, yeah, it's like you said, I had that wow of, yes, I can do this. Yeah. Yes, I'm yeah. capable. Was it a huge learning curve? Yes. Was it difficult? Was it like pulling teeth? Absolutely. But it's a skill set. I now have this skill set mm-hmm. that I didn't have before.
1: And Wow. Well, okay, I've got this. And two feelings don't last forever. So, like, if you can acknowledge I'm feeling this way at this moment, but this feeling isn't going to last forever, um, that help. That can be helpful for some people as well.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm that way as well. It's I, also I temporary. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh my gosh, so much so. And in in going with that, that that's actually a, one of the top coping strategies I started using too. But do you have what worked for you, uh, for every one of your children, the top three coping strategies that you used on those days that it was just a mental load and very heavy. Um, Zoloft? That kind of night.
1: Zoloft, yes. For me, Prozac. Yeah. So I started Zoloft for the first time in my life when our firstborn was like two a week or two old. And as soon as the meds kicked in, I did not i i did not have another panic attack and um with our so by second our second was a very different do you want me to get into it <laughs> was a very different experience yeah so our yeah go for our it. daughter she's turning three this month she um so i went in like um because i i was um so I went in and had like the genetic the blood screen, genetic screen and we found out that there was a 30 it was like 34% chance she had something called Turner syndrome which is a um it's a chromosomal abnormality and people live with it but the quality of life is unknown and most of women who are born with it are born infertile and there it's basically it's there's a huge range so when we found this out i think i was like 13 weeks so i was too far along to get the um where they like take a piece of your whatever out but it was too soon to get an amnio so i had to wait we had to wait for like over a month before we could find out so i had an amnio she did not have turner syndrome but you know late pregnancy termination were conversations we had to have and um, termination for medical reasons were conversations we had to have. And um was so around like 20 weeks, 22 weeks, somewhere in there, we found out everything was fine and um, my water broke at 32, 32 weeks. So my daughter was born at 32 weeks and spent the first month of her life in the NICU. And this was in May of 2020. So, like, right after everything shut down. Right in the middle of it, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but, so I had weaned off of Zoloft way earlier at that point because I didn't, I was doing fine and I weaned off of it and I was fine. Um, But I went back to that psychiatrist in the middle of my pregnancy around the time of the amnio and was like, look, I this is... This is way more than I'm capable of managing. And so psychiatrist, we worked out meds, and even a month in the NICU with my daughter, I didn't have a single panic attack. Like, I was totally, totally fine. So I, I should preface with, I, in my professional career have worked closely with many psychiatrists. And so I have a lot of faith in the work that they do, especially the ones that I've worked with. Um, so I never felt misled and I, I just let them tell me what would help and I let it help. Um, and so our daughter, yeah. And I've been, so I started, yeah. So I was, I had no panic, but a way more scary situation, I guess, the second the second go around. But that ended up great, and that ended up good, too. We all have our different yeah, paths.
0: for sure, for sure. So was medication, uh, it's a go-to for a lot of people, including myself. Um, were there other strategies that you... Yes. Used, I mean, you mentioned being mindful yeah, of yeah, yeah. okay, they're just emotions, they yeah. don't last.
1: So I don't need a lot of sleep, which I think is a benefit in early parenthood. I've never required a lot of sleep. I just don't like I I I so that helped because I didn't feel if there were like a few really bad nights in a row, I would feel h- horrible. Um so strategies that I provide for new parents. I often say and this was told to me by one of my midwives. So the baby, we put the co-sleeper on my husband's side of the bed. And then when the baby was in their own room, we put the monitor on my husband's side of the bed. And when the baby would wake up, my husband would go and get the baby, bring the baby to me. I would nurse the baby and he would bring the baby back. I know a lot of, um, there's a there's a lot of new parents that experience a lot of anxiety in the middle of the night because you're not supposed to be awake. And now you're awake and you're alone and all of the things. Um, So problem solving with your partner, if you have a partner on how to make the nighttime work for both of you, I often say that sleep deprivation should not just be reserved for the new mom. Um, And my husband was very happy to participate in the middle of the night routine also. So that helped. I made sure that I was going for tons and well. So being in nature is always really therapeutic for me. And so I made sure to spend a lot of time, even if it was just like baby wearing and it was freezing outside, just like getting outside, getting some sun, changing your environment when you're having anxiety, even though I wasn't at that point. But changing your environment when you're having anxiety is really helpful because you you are putting yourself into a position where you have to utilize grounding skills without really thinking about it. So you have to notice what you see. You have to notice what you smell. You have to notice what you feel. You, ha- you have to notice those things. Um, and that helps with if you're feeling anxious as well. What are others? What are some other... I mean, lots of people journal. Journaling's great. It's not for me. Um, a lot of people meditate. Meditation is great. Also, guided meditations are great for new parents because then you don't have to think about what you're going to think about. You just listen to someone guiding you through a meditation. Um, I think building a community is really important. I know, you know, this is one of the first times in history where women birthing people leave the hospital and they go home and they're alone and there's not multi-generations living in one house. You're not down the street from your cousin. You're not a kitty corner from your aunt. Um, And so a lot of times building your village, which, you know, people like to say village. So like building your village takes effort. Like you have to, you have to put in an effort to make, make it so that there's people in your life who know what's going on. And because it's easy to suffer alone, but um, no one should or should have to.
0: And I think, yeah, it, that was one of my expectations as well of going into it, it was just like, OK, um, we're a couple hours from both of our families um, where we're located. And I was like, you know what? I've always been a very self-reliant person. I'm mm-hmm. always like, I got this. I got this. I can do it. I can do it postpartum not the case yeah i was a scared little
1: girl in the corner yeah, you just need help. whimpering
0: Everyone
1: help. <laughs> like it's not supposed to be done alone it's never been done alone it's not supposed to be done alone yeah
0: so i loved how you mentioned the the strategies of getting the partner involved and I, i'm sure you've seen this too where you have a partner who is very much willing to help mm-hmm. and They're, but they're at your disposal, but you have no idea how to communicate your needs to them. Mm -hmm. And so there's a level of frustration there. What do you recommend for weeding through that frustration?
1: I feel like we just talked about this. We did. The second episode of our podcast, we talked about um, that communication piece with your partner. So... How do you, the question is, how do you communicate your needs when one, you don't really know what your needs are and your partner doesn't either and they're relying on you to tell them? I think not making assumptions is a great first step. I think we do a lot of assuming what our partner is thinking or that they know what our needs are and they're choosing not to meet them and um that's not really the case and you can always say i need something i don't know what i need can you help me figure it out can we figure out what i'm needing and keep in mind too if you have a partner in the home with you and the baby they've been observing you they probably have you know at least some idea of what the routines look like i would i would hope um and like parenting together with your partner instead of certain roles being assigned just to the new mom yeah and I think having the I I wish I'd
0: have, I wish I'd have known about the the, the baby monitor thing option because i've been glued to that thing on my side of the bed since day one and uh i mean we're sleeping okay now because she's sleeping fine but uh yeah there in the beginning it's like yes he would have been willing he would have been absolutely more than willing Mm -hmm. to have that on his side of the bed and be the primary um he even volunteered there i think there was one night where he's just like okay i'm not even asking i'm taking the baby monitor on my side
1: of the bed tonight you need to sleep and Um, we hear the baby i mean like by like we're trained to hear our babies cry. We hear them right. cry, but there's a difference between like I tell new parents all the time, you don't need the volume on the monitor to be at the highest it's going to be because then you spring awake and your adrenaline is going and you're hypervigilant and you're in panic. You know, you you can be in panic when really like if you just turn the volume down a little bit and you can hear you'll you'll hear the you'll hear your baby most of the time I
0: think yeah very good so um I kind of want to go back to Mm -hmm. the importance of mental health during this time and in the months that follow because I feel like there's there's hyper awareness in the weeks that follow bringing home baby but I felt like around month four month five or whatever some of the the high alert stuff kind of went went by the wayside Mm -hmm. of like oh well she's four or five months into this. She should have it by now. We don't need to worry about her so much. Um, And there's some validity to that. I felt I was starting to gain a little bit of confidence around that point, but I still felt like a train wreck. So I guess the question is, where do you, where do you put the importance of mental health throughout like that first year? Like, should it be high alert? Should it? Should there come a point where, okay, maybe it's not as crucial. I mean, I think our, something along the line. I think
1: our mental health is always really important because if we aren't, if we aren't able to care, it. I mean, it it can limit your ability to care for anyone if your mental health is to the point where you can't complete your functions of daily living. So like, if you can't eat, if you can't shower, if you can't get out of bed, if you are having panic attacks, and it's limiting your ability to function, it doesn't matter where you are in postpartum, that needs to be addressed. Um, That needs to be addressed. So and postpartum depression can, I mean, there's late onset postpartum depression that There's women who are totally fine. And then 18 months, they're like, all of a sudden hit by a, you know, they're hit by a train. And I think most importantly, these hormonal changes and our chemicals changes and it's different for everybody. And like, for me, the biggest takeaway is if you are suffering or if you're feeling like you can't take care of yourself on a very basic level, like, don't know when you brush your teeth last, that's a good time to seek support. Well, there's no bad time to seek support. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. But I loved how you said in one of your one of
0: your podcast episodes, I don't remember who said it, but the comment was, okay, why do I have to be in a crisis to get help?
1: Yeah, that's become like our defining, that's become like the defining theme of the podcast. Like, do I need to be in crisis for my motherhood experience to be valid. And I think we probably are raising kids in an environment where yes, unless you're in crisis, then it's just normal. Um, like, oh, we all struggle with having a baby. We all it's a learning curve, everyone, which it is. But that doesn't. That doesn't like mean lack of care or support is OK.
0: Sure. And as far as like the 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 negative stigma on like medications and things of that nature in your profession do you think there's any like improvement in that realm I feel like there is a little bit but I there's definitely still a group of people that are just like medication bad never not for me
1: yeah I think it's really personal so like I um the person that I saw was a psychiatrist who is amazing and highly trained in perinatal mental health. And she told me that I could breastfeed, that it was going to be okay. And I listened to her. I'm not a medic. I'm not a, I'm not a medical provider. You know, I'm a licensed therapist. I'm going to listen to someone who's had way more training than me in what medication management looks like for a postpartum parent. I, can understand for parents who don't want to go down that route. I totally get it. In my own practice when I have um when I have intakes with new parents or like first second session and it comes out that there's like very intense intrusive thoughts or very intense panic or very, you know, or, like, not wanting to be around the baby, um, I always say, like, look, these are the psychiatrists that I work with. You need to go get an assessment with one of them. I'll talk to them about it after, but that needs to be part of what this treatment is looking like. Even if you don't want to take meds, just meeting with someone and learning and asking your questions and seeing what could be helpful or what couldn't be helpful, I obviously we all have the ability, like, you get to make the choice of what you're putting in your body and what you're not putting in your body. And I will never second guess that. But I think having a team is, in, is really important.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And I think um, as so many people, they have their own own views and beliefs, which I totally get. But when it came to seeing a therapist or seeing a psychiatrist, it always came off as this is just another another tool. This is another option for me to have a like a objective third party come in, assess the situation and be like, okay, here's another way to look at it or here's another another approach that you could you could assess. I always felt those were just enabling me to learn how to handle this new situation i was in or this new you know phase of life that i was in so i never really saw it as as a negative i never saw it as a oh well you know i i i can't get my shit together so i need a professional Mm -hmm. professional help type thing um i feel like that's also a generational thing you know it's it's like our parents always viewed it as a as a negative thing whereas us we actually view it for what it is um and so and i'm i'm going on about it but i feel like we're getting better at it help encouraging moms to or parents in general encouraging them to pursue these these routes for that reason. Um, so in I guess in the course of so you're, you've recommended someone to a psychiatrist you're you're analyzing their treatment with them and you're bringing it you're talking about it in your sessions with them. Do you ever feel like there comes a point where, you feel like mom, mom just needs. To, I don't know how to properly say like this. Like be but I hospitalized. Guess, yes, that's kind of where I'm going. Yeah. Like, at what point do you think yeah. there's like a cross between? Okay, this is. she just needs more time to adjust to let yeah. the medication or treatment, whatever treatment she pursuing, give that time? Or okay, this is a dangerous situation. We need to. We need to quickly act upon this. Yes.
1: So I think in all of the years that I've been working with postpartum parents, I've written one mental health hold and the mom agreed to it that she needed um, to go and seek inpatient care. The hold was simply so we could help transport her to that inpatient care. Um, And... I don't, you know, I don't obviously remember all of the details, but I think it just depends. Look, we're all assessed when we have follow-up appointments. You can be as honest on those assessments or as dishonest as possible. But in extreme cases like postpartum psychosis, there is a difference between having thoughts and having a plan and professionals like myself are trained to ass- assess those things. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a di- there's a difference between having thoughts of like it would be really nice to. You know, or like I drive over this bridge and I'm thinking about driving off of the bridge every time I drive over this bridge. What are other common ones I hear? I think about like falling when I'm walking down the stairs with the baby. Like, what if I drop the baby down the stairs? There's a difference between that and, okay, I'm going to be alone with the baby on this day from this time to this time. And that seems like, you know, there's just a difference between having a plan of what of self-harm, inflicting harm on someone else or um, and having those thoughts. So that's why I think like having a very solid assessment is really, really important. Um, and being able to have providers that you can have those honest conversations with about like, hey, I'm having thoughts that are kind of scaring me or I'm having violent thoughts there, even if they're not scaring me, other Outside of like I have a plan. <laughs> I've thought about what I would do and I have the means to do it. Those are different, those are different conversations in a trained mental health and medical provider that they're trained to, to do the, you know, we're trained to make these assessments. Right. And I think
0: there's a level A fear there, too, because I know in my experience when, yes, I had the thoughts, I never full on planned anything. But the day that I sought help, I was gravitating toward that and I recognized it. Mm -hmm. But there are so many moms who I've heard also have had those plans, but they are scared to death to tell anyone or they don't have a provider that they're comfortable explaining all this stuff to Mm -hmm. for fear of... Being labeled a bad parent mm-hmm. and potentially having it written down somewhere that, oh well, I'm not fit to be a parent. Could my child potentially be taken away? Mm-hmm. Is that something you've ever encountered with with moms? Where there's just that that fear
1: of thinking that, yeah, that's where I'm the cut out to be a parent. That's where the therapeutic relationship comes in very handy because creating a space for clients where that's a It's never an easy conversation to have, but where you feel safe enough to share that knowing that your provider isn't going to call Child Protective Services. So something that I did a lot prior to COVID, I'm not doing so much anymore, is I would do community visits. So I would do home visits with new moms. And that was another way, that was another assessment tool. I'd be able to go in somebody's house and see what is the house looking like? What is, is the baby clean? Like, what is this environment looking like? And never to accuse, never to make accusations, but just as another tool for assessment in terms of like, what is the health of this whole situation? I think that's another importance too. Is like when you're
0: in the throes of it, nothing, nothing about it feels normal. Yeah, nothing in the house feels normal. Yeah. It's it's something new that you're having to learn. So I think yeah, having that type of service where and it doesn't necessarily have to be a therapist, but having someone you trust mm-hmm. who you 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 respect their their parenting coming in and being like assessing, yeah, what is your what's your everyday looking like is. Yeah. Is, yeah is your house a wreck okay but is are you are you healthy is, is there baby healthy? Is, yeah yeah are you guys taking care of your basic needs yeah. having someone coming in there to, to point all of that out would have been astronomical
1: yeah i mean it was never my in- the intention of me doing that and my practice was always just because i know as a as a new parent, how hard it is to get out the door and to make it to an appointment at a specific time. And so my train of thought was always like this, let me relieve some of that added stress and do walk and talk sessions. It was never like I need to see inside of these people's homes. Um, But that was part of what I learned while I was doing it is that I was able to get an idea of even how they're interacting with the baby because how you interact with the baby at home is different from how you're interacting with the baby in a stroller where you're just pushing the stroller and the baby, you know? Um, Yeah. So that's what I, that's part of what my process and assessment looked like. Awesome. Yeah. And
0: last bit of, Question, or rather, sure. <laughs> Last question cool. I kind of had, then I've asked most people is that if you could go back and give your pre-mom self mm. any tips or advice, what would those be?
1: Um. Well, I can tell you what I tell expectant parents: listen to your instincts. They might not be strong or kicked in right away, but they're there. You are allowed to trust yourself, and the the parental instincts you grow with time um there is no manual or book or directions of how to do this there's you can find an expert anywhere on anything it doesn't mean it's what's going to work for you and your family so figuring out what works for you and your family and establishing a support network beforehand um Uh, just on the perinatal mood disorder piece, if you... If any new parent or expectant parent is listening and they've experienced postpartum and they've experienced anxiety or depression in the past, you have a higher likelihood of experiencing it postpartum. Does it mean you will? No, not necessarily, but you can and you are at a higher likelihood. So if you have a history of those things and it's on your radar, that even just having that conversation with an OB or your partner or your aunt or your coworker, someone like i i experienced in the past this is something that could potentially come up um what would i tell myself just to keep doing i would have told my pre-mom self just keep doing what you're doing because you got this
0: yeah and that's that was one of the things that i i thought about myself as well when in retrospective of uh i would have done better to communicate my needs mm-hmm. um But I and I told my husband that as well. It's like okay, if we were to do this again, this is probably the number one thing I would Mm -hmm. do would be to to document. Okay, what did I struggle communicating, and it was my needs. Mm -hmm. But it's like we were talking
1: about earlier. I didn't know what the needs were. I just knew I needed something. Yeah, yeah. And like saying, I don't know what I need, but I need something. Like that's that's advocating for yourself. And that's a big part of it too. I I noticed as well is that
0: I felt like I, I couldn't advocate for myself because it was just, it was all playing out in front of me of how to care for this child or how to uh, try to take care of myself and learn to do normal and that it was all on my shoulders to learn, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, a lot of moms feel, but isn't always necessarily the the reality. Um, but yeah, great, great, great tips for sure. Yeah. Um, what do you, where can, where can people follow you on social media and where can they like reach out if they needed, like, cause I, on your website, you do mention uh, professional services. Is that something that people could pursue with you or just check out social media? How would you yeah. let them approach that? So
1: social media is not therapy. Let's just put that out Thank there. Thank you. Social media is not <laughs> therapy. There are a lot of th- very highly skilled therapists on social media, but social media in itself is not therapy. Therapy is therapy. <laughs> um, so I, how it, my, my practice is full right now, but everybody who reaches out to me, I try to get them connected with someone that's local to them. Um, I will do my best to help, however I can. The way that my particular license works, I'm a license. I'm an LPC, so I can only see people in the states. They have to be in the state. That I'm licensed in. So if I were traveling, it would still just be Colorado. Um, And I can be found at Fourth Trimester Wellness on Instagram, Fourth Trimester Wellness on Facebook. I just launched a podcast with a colleague of mine, Ruby, called I Love My Baby. And we are getting tons of submissions. So the premise of the podcast is you send us a, a submission that usually completes the sentence, I love my baby and, and we address it from both an individual and a relational perspective. And where else can I I feel like I can be reached anywhere, but Instagram is a good place to start because you can email me from there.
0: Yeah. And we'll stick, I'll, I'll stick the, the links to those in the show notes as well, but yeah, fourth trimester wellness is a, an account that I've, I've enjoyed and it's been oh, helpful. Thank you. Good. Um, as, as well as the, the podcast of I love my baby. And so if you guys want to check those out, um, I'll have those available there in the podcast. So, so any closing remarks or any closing thoughts from you, Aaron?
1: No, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And I always love the opportunity to be able to talk to parents in different places with different experiences and um seeing kind of how we all we all navigate the trenches of postpartum (laughs) amen to that well like i said i very much loved
0: your your heading on your side of a postpartum with the actual fuck because i think that is probably the most accurate description of those weeks that followed. I just
1: feel like I looked down at one point and I was like in my husband's sweatpants and t-shirt and like had like spit up and breast milk and was just like covered in things that I didn't know what they were. And I like had this very cute little baby and I was like, what is what the fuck is actually happening? (laughs)
0: That's great. That's great. Well, thanks again for coming yeah, on. We thank very you for much having appreciate me. your your thoughts and your stories. And stay tuned, guys, because like I said, we're going to put those in the show notes for you to check out and uh, can tune in and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to The Postpartum Wow. If you like what you heard and you'd like to support this podcast, I'd love for you to subscribe and follow me on your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow me on my Facebook page at The Postpartum Wow. This way, you'll be notified when new episodes are dropped every other Tuesday. Feel free to also leave a review, sharing what you liked best, and this will help other listeners know what to expect when checking out this podcast. Until next time, friends, may your messy buns be on point and your coffee stay warm.